Right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. We've got a smaller panel here today, but I have no doubt it's still going to be fantastic. This episode is sponsored by Gravitational. As your team and cloud infrastructure grows, you may want to reevaluate how you access SSH servers and Kubernetes clusters. Gravitational Teleport is an emerging open source replacement for OpenSSH, which was built for modern cloud workloads. Teleport is opinionated. It does not allow SSH keys, and instead it insists on certificate-based authentication, making it dead easy to set up and use. Teleport is fully compatible with your SSH and Kubernetes tooling, comes with a beautiful web UI and an audit log, and it allows users to access servers outside of data centers like IoT devices. It was called Teleport because it creates the illusion that all your company's servers are in the same room with you, even if some of them are self-driving vehicles. Download Teleport on gravitational.com slash teleport or find it on github.com slash gravitational slash teleport. I'm Nell Shamrell Harrington. I'm a senior staff research engineer at Mozilla. And with me today is my guest, Alex. Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, uh, happy to be here. Uh, I have an interesting story, let's say. I, uh, I was born and raised in Greece, in Athens, and my mother was uh, French. So I decided that before my 30s, I wanted to go live in France. Uh, so that's where I'm based right now. And um, I, I started off as a electrical and computer engineer, uh, working in Nokia in Athens and the telco industry. Uh, did some really cool projects on um, 5G related work in SDN. Uh, and then I wanted to do more product-based work and more business-facing uh, work. So I, I did a, a couple of years in business analysis here in France. And then I just recently joined Canonical as a product engineer, product manager, sorry, um, and now I'm handling uh, our portfolio for the data center. Some of my products are Kubernetes, Ceph, uh, the Linux kernel. Uh, I'm also leading the, the telco initiative based on my background uh, and a bunch of other smaller products uh, like LifePatch uh, and OBN. Awesome. Yeah. So it's really excited, really exciting to, to be part of Canonical. Uh, I was always working with open source. So yeah, it's nice to be on the other side of the fence. Awesome. Well, we are very glad to have you here. And looks like another panelist just joined us. Uh, Scott, how's it going? Good. Hey, how are you? Doing fantastic. Hey, Scott. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Alex. All right. And Alex, when we were uh, putting together a prep doc for the show, I noticed uh, mentioned micro Kates. That's micro K8S. Uh, yes. uh, we, we had a discussion prior to recording about whether it was micro-Kates or micro-Kubernetes. For something so small, if it has micro in it, micro-Kates certainly makes more sense. Uh, tell exactly. us a little bit about, more about micro-Kates. So micro-Kates is a one-command install of Kubernetes. So you, you, just, you just type snap install micro-Kates and you get your Kubernetes and you can get it everywhere on your workstation. Uh, it's it's super lightweight. Uh, uh, you can you, it comes prepackaged with uh, a bunch of really cool add-ons or tools. Uh, 
you can you can uh, bring up bring up the dashboard. You can uh, you can do network configuration. Uh, you can do multi-node clustering. Uh, we're currently working on uh, having uh, the HA ready uh, to add to our production uh, storyline and uh, also the strict confinement part, which is really important for security, of course. Um, before I joined Canonical, I need to be honest here, I had very little hands-on experience on Kubernetes. So uh, I was using Docker a little bit, spinning up a few containers and stuff. Uh, I, I was working with uh, a bunch of engineers that uh, were having the kind of, the, to manage multiple containers to run our applications on top of them. Uh, but I, I was kind of, uh, uh, reluctance to to get my hands dirty because I, as I told you in the beginning I, I was kind of uh, drifting away from purely engineering towards the business side but when when I got the assignment of Kubernetes here in Canonical I was fascinated with the fact that everything that I've learned throughout the years in, in theory was so easy to do with microcades like this is uh, a plain user could just read the, the basic tutorial, uh, install it, and then up, oh, you get your dashboard, up, oh, you get your worker notes. Uh, everything is like one command away from, from having a full Kubernetes cluster. And that's, that's really what appeals to me to the solution on a personal level. It's, um, so yeah, I, I think it's a really a nice way to get people onboarded on Kubernetes. Uh, it really uh, lowers the barrier, as, as we say, of entry to Kubernetes. Uh, and it can be essentially used for, like, if you want to use it on your workstation to uh, to play around with the Kubernetes, uh, to if, if you want to do some proof of concept, uh, if you want to uh, have it as part of your CICD pipeline, um, you can just bring it on, uh, spin up your VMs, and then shut it all down to save your battery, which is which is great. That's awesome. I, I meant when I first heard about it, I thought it was something like Minikube, uh, meant for local development. But it sounds like it can be used to manage as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I I know uh, our main developer cause is. Uh, I think he's friends with some of the people out there in, in the Minikube project. Uh, I think we we take what the community did and take it a step forward. So it's it's really not just having a simple version of a, of Kubernetes from the upstream. Uh, it can it's it's packaged in a way that it's it's super simple. It's it's very lightweight. It doesn't it can be used in a uh, resource restricted environments as well, uh, like on the edge. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so we want to have microcase positioned uh, for production as well. So I have a question. So is Charmed Kubernetes, which is also a canonical product as well, is that meant to just be more of a management tool or is that actually like another implementation of Kubernetes? So yeah, uh, we consider this being kind of a different flavor uh, of Kubernetes. Uh, it's essentially our big enterprise offering. So if you want a simple Kubernetes on rail, we will point you towards microcades. If you want to have 
a big Kubernetes that can have like customization capabilities. Uh, you get to choose your add-ons and your plugins or your CNIs and your CSIs. Uh, I think that we, your, your best solution would be Charm Kubernetes. Uh, I guess you already know it's based on, on our Juju uh, lifecycle automation tool. Um, you, you have these uh, things called Charms, which are essentially our version of uh, Kubernetes operators. Uh, and we bundle all the Kubernetes components uh, in Charms and you can just deploy uh, Charm Kubernetes with a single command uh, again. So it's, uh, it's facilitating a lot and abstracting a lot of the complexity uh, that Kubernetes inherently has uh, from, from the end users. Sounds like it works well across clouds as well, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest uh, selling points uh, that we have is the workload portability. So it's inherently difficult to say, if you're a developer, you're, you're writing your applications uh, on local, you need to move them through your CI CD, do the testing, and then you want eventually to move it, to move them to production. So that's is or still difficult with Kubernetes. And then you have the other part of the complexity where you have an on-prem data center where you do your full life cycle of your application there, and then you want to move it to a public cloud, for example, or you have a multi-cloud setup or a hybrid cloud setup, and you want to be able to move whatever workload you're developing across the whole spectrum. So this is really difficult. And Charm Kubernetes is really our answer to that problem. What kinds of uh, customers do you have using MicroKates and Charm Kubernetes? So uh, I'm not sure that uh, I, I would be naming some of the biggest oh. customers, but I, I, will, I, I, can, I can speak to the verticals. So Perfect. for example, we have, uh, let's start with something lighter. So like we have some fashion industry players, uh, of course, telcos, uh, which uh, I'm part of the, the whole telco initiative. Uh, we have companies in the insurance uh, market. We have manufacturing, uh, transportation, uh, FinServe as well. Uh, yeah, just from, on the, from the top of my head, I would say these are the, the main verticals that we address. Sounds like you've got a you know, large breadth of uh, industries there. And what yes, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, so essentially what we do is we leverage uh, the really great story that Ubuntu is on its own uh, because Ubuntu is used everywhere and uh, it's really uh, one of the most used OSs uh, to, uh, that's, Containers run on top, for example, or even uh, as a host OS on VMs. So that's kind of opens a lot of doors uh, for conversation with uh, with companies, and this is this is how we have such a diverse portfolio. That sounds fantastic. Um, Ubuntu is, as you say, certainly used just about everywhere. I use it for my servers and other things. So that, that's cool that you can leverage that Ubuntu is so well known. 
uh, and help people come into this new world of containers, Kubernetes, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So by the way, uh, yesterday we celebrated the launch of uh, our latest Ubuntu version, uh, 2004 LTS. So uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, but uh, yeah, we're, we're super proud. Like uh, everybody was working very, very hard to, to make this happen. It was a big launch yesterday. And uh, we're definitely looking forward uh, for the, the feedback from the community. So any big features with this release that, that you want to highlight? Uh, so this release, uh, it's all about security and performance. So I can, I can speak to some of the, the cool things that, uh, for the example, the kernel brings. So we have, um, uh, we have, uh, like the FS Verity tool, uh, you get, you get, we did a really big benchmark on, on multiple, uh, public clouds, uh, like Amazon, uh, a bunch of Amazon uh, machine flavors, and we saw that the the boot time has been reduced, the SSH availability has been reduced. So that's that's really nice to see. And essentially, it, uh, 2004 brings a lot of uh, improvements, both on the desktop side, on the server side as well. Uh, so yeah, we're we're really excited to. Uh, to have the uh, to, to have the outreach that we do, and uh, we're we we are definitely working towards uh, having this as the best possible operating system. That's great. I know. I noticed. Um, you know. I know that. You know the one of the things I've I've heard people is like, oh yeah, this this version is still has the old version of Python. So I, I noticed that you do have three eight on there. So that's great as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Pearl, um, Pearl five, PHP seven point four, Golang, <laughs> all this, all nice yeah. updates. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Something I've always loved about Ubuntu is the major releases always have cute animal names, and it looks like twenty oh four is Focal Five, which is a yes. cat-like predator. Exactly. Yes, I think it's. Uh, I think it's from Madagascar. Uh, hmm. I, I need to double check again, but I, I think it's from Madagascar. The the fossa. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I I absolutely love uh, the the new kind of more purple theme, which still fades out to orange, but it's uh, I love the the work that our design team did. Yeah, it's always it's always been a big highlight of Ubuntu. It's really nice design. So, hmm. so bringing things back a little bit to micro capes and do you say charmed Kubernetes or charmed capes? Uh, you can say both. You can say, but okay, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll call it Charm Kubernetes. It just feels a little better. Yeah. What kind of uh, sure. workloads are people running using it? So mainly it would be IT workloads. So for example, databases like uh, Mongo or Postgres or MySQL or Cassandra. Uh, you can do uh, other stuff, or other things on IT workloads might be uh, logging, monitoring, monitoring, and alerting uh, applications like Greylock, Prometheus, Grafana, uh, Elastic, and then others like Kafka, or even uh, we have some telco-specific workloads like uh, the OSM, the um, management and orchestration uh, application for for telcos. Uh, then we can do, uh, of course, AI ML. Uh, you can do your AI training uh, on there. 
you can do websites, uh, website scale out. Uh, if you want to add more, more power to your website and, and add more instances, you can, you can do it on Kates. You can do distributed systems or just various networking functions like, like we have with the, with the telecommunication industry, the, the virtual networking functions, BNFs as they call them. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Broadening from Kubernetes a little bit, I know one of the other products you work on is Ceph. Did I say that right? C-E-P-H? Yeah. Tell us, a little more, tell us a little more about Ceph. Okay. So Ceph is a software-defined storage solution. It's essentially the benefit of it is that you no longer need to have a propi- uh, closed source big rack of disks with a, with a closed source software running on top of it that would provide you with your storage. So what Ceph does is uh, it can create clusters on top of commodity storage hardware. Uh, so you can have your, your spinning disks, you can have your, your NASs, you can have your, you name it. Like any, any commodity storage hardware can be clustered into, into a Ceph cluster. And it also provides... Uh, various APIs uh, to, to get, to expose object block and file system capabilities, which is really powerful because essentially with Ceph you get one solution that can address all the different types of storage needs you might have. So that's, that's really cool. It has native integration with uh, OpenStack, uh, can still be deployed as a standalone, uh, you can you can have it in conjunction with an iSCSI gateway, so it's it's really powerful. You can you can connect it to any other solution that you that you might have. Uh, what else can I say? Uh, and yeah, there's of course the there's the self healing aspect uh, that's really powerful. They're they're using uh some algorithmic hashing mechanisms to ensure that the the data is protected from from failure and they're actually really actively working towards uh performance optimization so i'm really looking forward what the the Ceph upstream community would bring to the table with regards to that because essentially the blockers are either iops or networking restrictions uh, for for the for for the performance of a storage cluster, and I know the community is working towards uh, finding solutions for for that. Tell me a little more about the self healing capabilities. I'm quite intrigued by that. So um, I, I won't say that I know all the deep technical details of it, but uh, and kind of a 
of a simplified manner. I know what, what they do is they take the files, they break, it, they break them down into smaller pieces that are distributed across the cluster uh, in a way that's uh, kind of, if you lose some of these, let's say, file replicas, uh, the, the cluster is capable of uh, either moving uh, the files from a failed uh, node of the cluster elsewhere in a kind of seamless manner, or even um, kind of uh, get back the data that ha has been uh, harmed uh, due to the fact that it's so well distributed. I hope I, I did it justice because it's yeah. it's it's highly sophisticated though the way that they do it they they're using the the crush algorithm as they call it and yeah it's it's super fascinating to to understand all the intricacies of it. So can you tell us a little more about how some of the different Ubuntu products integrate with OpenStack? It's it's funny. One of our other co-hosts, he he has a big OpenStack background, but I don't. So I, it's a shame he's missing this episode. <laughs> sure. Uh, so um, OpenStack uh, essentially can be your your backbone, can be your your compute, can be your your networking. Uh, of course. It's one of the go-to storage solutions for your OpenStack would be Ceph, for example. Then there's the, the native solution from OpenStack, which is Swift. But if you want uh, kind of a more um, versatile storage solution, you would be integrating it with Ceph. So uh, our vision is... Uh, our, our, our version of OpenStack is called Charmed OpenStack, which is, again, leveraging uh, the automation capabilities, the lifecycle automation capabilities of uh, Juju with Charms that can uh, easily bundle all these uh, various OpenStack components and then uh, both ease the deployments and all the day one and day two operations um, that somebody might want to do on the OpenStack uh, cluster. And Ceph can be deployed on uh, next to the OpenStack uh, cluster uh, with the same way. So we have a Charm Ceph uh, uh, offering, let's say, as well. Uh, on top of the OpenStack, uh, you can, of course, uh, run your Kubernetes. So you can have your... Uh, your infrastructure, uh, you can spin up your VMs and have uh, and have your containers uh, running on top, for example. So, uh, Chomp Kubernetes works really well as uh, in conjunction to 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 Chomp OpenStack. Um, uh, what else can I say? Uh, I I don't. Uh, I'm not fully aware of any other uh, integrations that we are doing on OpenStack. Uh, so I think uh, these are the two highlights. So using OpenStack with Ceph and using OpenStack with Kubernetes can re really be beneficial because you get a really uh, premium quality open source uh, software and defined storage solution. And then you can also kind of achieve resource optimization by combining OpenStack and Kubernetes and essentially uh, splitting your resources into uh, virtual machines and then 
running your applications on containers on top of these virtual machines, which is something that we do regularly for, for most of our customers, by the way. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about Juju, which you've mentioned a couple of times? Yeah, so, uh, of course, before joining Canonical, I wasn't really uh, aware of, of Juju, but uh, I, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of, about it during the, the months that I've been here. And it, to me, it sounds fascinating because what it does, it's essentially enable. So Juju is the, is the controller, let's say. And uh, what you will be doing with Juju is uh, you need to wrap your uh, applications around a piece of code that essentially encapsulates all the logic and all the relationships that are needed in order to run day zero to day two operations. So. Uh, let's take a simple example. Um, you have your, your master node in Kubernetes. And uh, in order to deploy it, uh, there's, of course, need of a lot of configuration. So instead of running uh, that configuration manually, you could wrap your uh, master node uh, as an application, like consider the master node as a single application, uh, you, can, you can write uh, uh, a piece of code that can handle all the intricacies of, of deploying that master node. So the only thing that you will eventually need to do after you have this chomped master node component is to say, juju deploy master and everything else gets handled seamlessly. So what will happen is that you can have a lot of these uh, charms put together in a bundle, and this kind of makes uh, a deployment of a large set of application really easy. And then with Juju, you get all the primitives and the, we call them actions, you can do uh, Juju upgrade Kubernetes cluster, for example. So you, you just need to have some people that know the details of the operations uh, to write the wrapper code. And then for the end users, it's, everything is really simple. So what, what is really very interesting to me with Juju is that it kind of helps abstract all this complexity because I, I, I'm just a business. I, I don't need to care about how to deploy my Kubernetes. I know that I need to because I, I understand the benefits of it, but I shouldn't be caring about how to deploy it, how to upgrade it, how to uh, uh, change config or whatever. So uh, what I need to do have is a database that's running within a container because that's what my business needs. So what's we want to enable our users to do is to focus on their business logic. And we think Juju is the greatest way to do it. So let me, let me, let me see if I can clarify what, what's going on in my head. So Charmed is, is Canonical's like application store, right? So the, essentially, that's where you can get applications and install. It, it's a little bit of a package manager as well, right? 
Is, is that a fair assessment? So, so saying that it's a package manager is not incorrect, okay. but then it's so much more. Sure. It's, sure. So you, could do, you can do a Helm deployment of an application, but you could not do a Helm upgrade. And then if you could do it, you would need to do Helm upgrade for every applications that are dependent on the application that you initially wanted to upgrade. Gotcha. So Juju yeah. does all this seamlessly. So if I yeah. was to uh, upgrade my database, which was talking, for example, to my log collector, uh, how, how would the log collector know that, oh, now database has a new version, so I, need, I better follow up on that because then I won't be able to talk to my database anymore. So if that relationship is captured within the code of the two, two charms, everything happens seamlessly. So Juju would know that, oh, now that uh, we've triggered the upgrade of the database, I better upgrade all the dependent components. So that's, that's really an additional level of complexity that we are abstracting from the end users. And so Juju, so all right, so I'm, I'm sitting here looking at what, what's available online. So this is something that you can deploy into the public cloud. You can deploy to Rackspace, OpenStack, all these things, right? Yeah. Um, you, there's also this visual like modeling tool that's in there. And so yes. I, like, obviously I, I don't have any experience with it, but is, is there some kind of underlying kind of like YAML configuration that you can use to do, to do this manually or is it, or is there maybe, is there, and like an SDK around this? I guess I'm curious. So, uh, yes, uh, there is indeed a visualing, uh, visualizing tool, let's say. Um, you, could, you could create, well, we, we already have charmers within Canonical that help write, uh, let's say, reference charms for people to, to use already. Uh, but I actually did create a charm myself and I was super proud, uh, no, not a charm, but a bundle. So a collection of charms that I grouped within something that made sense to be grouped in order to, to deploy it. So what I had to do, I, could, I couldn't write the charm myself. Uh, if I had more Python skills, for example, I definitely could, but um, I, I could easily go onto the GUI of Juju and say, okay, what do I want to do? I want to deploy the simplest form of a Ceph cluster that I could get. So I basically need uh, two charms. I need the, the Ceph monitoring charm and uh, the Ceph, uh, a basic Ceph OSD uh, charm. So I, I could easily drag and drop the two the two little icons that represent the charms say that, okay, I need them to talk to each other, of course. And then behind the scenes, there was a YAML file that was created. And then I could either open that YAML file and twitch the configuration of what I just created as a bundle. And then when I was happy with it, I could just go onto a machine and say, Juju deploy the, the name of my bundle and magic happened afterwards yeah so it's it's a there's clearly this bundling piece there's modeling and it seems like it, this is it's a different kind of approach to configuration management and also exactly you know deployment so we, automation and it's, it's a lot we, we say we say two things 
we say application modeling because of course you have your application you you encapsulate it within another layer of code that helps model all the lifecycle operations that you want to do and and its relationship with relationships with uh, other applications and then i also really like the term application lifecycle automation because it's exactly that so with with a simple juju command you can you can execute actions that are necessary for the whole application's lifecycle Gotcha. So yeah, because my, my most of the my day to day work is is around surrounds, you know, infrastructure as code and automation and stuff like that. So this is like right in the stuff that's like very much on absolutely every day uh, all day. So very cool. Uh, if you haven't tried out and you're working on an infrastructure as code, you definitely should. It, it's it, it's open source, so <laughs> you you can go ahead and do it. We'll we'll appreciate your feedback if you do. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It seems great. So I'll have to do, explore it more for sure. Yeah, we actually quite recently uh, launched the new way of writing charms, which is a pure Python operator framework. Uh, we, we call it operator framework because we want to be uh, conformant to what the, the market is saying. So people say operators for, we call them charms, but charms are operators. They're just pieces of code that can do operations on top of an application. So, uh, and it's, so it's pure Python and it's, it's even more clean than what it was before. So if, if you have uh, basic Python understanding and some expertise on a specific application, you definitely can, can write it strong. So staying on the, the subject of Charmed and bringing in some of your telco experience in, I know you also work on Charmed OSM. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yes, absolutely. So uh, OSM is a telco-specific uh, application, let's say. Um, so within, within uh, telco architecture, it's the management and orchestration layer that takes care of uh networking function lifecycle so uh in the past uh the telcos essentially were selling again big racks uh with everything was proprietary with uh, legacy monolithic proprietary software to accommodate one function within a massive landscape that was the whole network so uh, this is no longer the way to do things. Uh, we are getting closer and closer to uh, having cloud native applications. Uh, we, people have un understood the need to have microservices uh, and uh, applications broken down into small components that are more manageable, maintainable, and portable. So the whole approach of I need a big piece of hardware that has one specific task, let's say, uh, and I need hundreds and hundreds of these different hardwares that do one thing is no longer uh, sustainable. So uh, telcos, even though uh, got in that game quite later than the IT industry, 
uh, are now starting to really go towards what they call virtual network functions, so VNFs. Uh, so what I s described before, so one, one old rack with one piece of legacy software was one network function. So now they're breaking down uh, these monolithic uh, functions into microservices and then they're running it in the cloud. So you get, you get many more applications nowadays, so a lot of uh, many more workloads and somebody needs to manage them. So OSM does exactly that. And uh, well, Charmed OSM is again, uh, leveraging the power of Charms uh, for the application lifecycle automation. It's uh, around 12 Charms so that represent uh, the 12 applications that make OSM uh, upstream on its own. Uh, and uh, actually, a Juju controller is one of these upstream applications. Uh, we're really proud of that. And uh, we are uh, working with the OSM community uh, to uh, help, first and foremost, onboard more uh, VNFs, uh, because it's actually uh, quite difficult to see use cases of open source uh, VNFs, because most telcos are keeping their VNFs as closed source. So uh, we're trying to, to help the adoption of OSM and to uh, make telcos understand the power of the open source um, and the flexibility that it brings, uh, and also to actually make OSM a better product. So uh, quite recently, we uh, took the work of uh, upstreaming the entire uh, set of charms that we have for OSM. So that's, that's already uh, done. Uh, and we're also participating in hackathons. We have regular discussions with the, the big players. Uh, the, the, there are many, uh, I think there are 12 big telecom, uh, telecom operators that uh, uh, make part of the OSM community. And uh, we're super excited about working uh, with them. Are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. Do you, I'm kind of curious, did, has Canonical been working with telecos for a long time? You know, I... I guess I, I don't have a whole lot of experience in teleco in the teleco world, but I'm kind of curious to know a little more how they kind of got involved in this. And, you know. So uh, I, I'm not sure if you had joined uh, Scott uh, when I said this. Uh, I, yeah, I, you did. I did hear your background. I, 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 your background is mostly teleco and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was working in, in Nokia in Athens. Uh, so. Nokia is another provider for the telco operators. Um, but the, the thing is with Canonical is that really we, we are, the, the whole Ubuntu story is, is opening a lot of doors for discussions with the, essentially any vertical. 
So telco is one really important vertical because uh, they relatively recently realized the power of, of moving to that whole uh, cloud native stack, if you will. So uh, we, we are in constant communication with them. Uh, I cannot tell you like historically when did this started but I, I, my experience shows that uh, this has been an ongoing discussion for for multiple years now, okay. and it's it's good to see that they they moved from uh, from this legacy monolithic approach to to uh, the microservice uh, architecture because it's um, it's really the way the modern way of writing software and providing services on top. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, there's one more topic I want to talk about before we move on to picks at the end of the episode. And that is, I understand you also work on canonical live catch service. Can you tell us some more about that? Yeah. So it, it's fairly simple. Uh, live patch is a way to patch your kernel for uh, significant uh, security fixes. Uh, while your system is is live and it stays live while while the patching is happening, so uh, LivePatch is a service. Uh, you just have a subscription for it. Uh, well, to to be exact, uh, if if you're just a simple uh, user, that, that service is available for free. Uh, if you're an enterprise. Uh, then you need to have a, a specific subscription. Uh, and essentially what happens is we, every user uh, or workstation gets a token uh, that uh, kind of helps authenticate uh, with the central canonical LifePatch server. And then it's kind of a, a push and pull relationship. So um, the LifePatch server knows who is subscribed to the service and then whenever uh, security patch is available, it just pushes it towards uh, the machine. Uh, so it's it's really uh, aligned with Canonical's vision of security first, really. So I'm using it on my, my workstation, my laptop for, for free. And uh, I think it's uh, one of the best practices for any average user to, to use it because you this is the way to ensure that your kernel is always up to date on the latest security uh, issues. And then of course for for the companies uh, it's it's a no-brainer that they would be uh, they want to stay secured so I think it's a really important uh, service offering. Cool. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah I love the idea of being able to update my systems without uh, rebooting them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for the great conversation. Uh, Scott, was there anything else you wanted to ask? No, no. To I'm good. All right. Well, at the end of each show, we mention each of us mentions one or two things that we found useful over the week. They can be technical tools, they can be non technical tools, they can be just about anything. So I'll go ahead and start. And my pick for this episode is Powell's Bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I went to high school in downtown Portland, uh, St. Mary's Academy, right in the middle of downtown there. 
So Pals was where I got a lot of my books uh, that I used for classes. And I've since moved up to Seattle uh, you know, over 10 years ago. But anytime I'm down visiting my parents in the Portland area, I always make a trip to Pals. So I was very sad when I heard that Powell's, I knew they had had to close their live bookstores, but they had laid off their entire staff. Uh, they really didn't have any choice in doing that. But the response from people in ordering by mail, because they're still uh, you know, sending books by mail, you can still order from them, was so great. They were able to hire back uh, a, a, a decent portion of their staff. So highly recommend them. It's a fantastic independent bookstore. Uh, highly recommend supporting them if you've got the cash. You can get some great books. I bought the entire Witcher series, among some other things. Now that I've seen the show, I want to read the books. And that is my pick. So, Scott, over to you. Cool. So, it was funny because I was thinking um, over the years, I like have gotten, you know, like as I would like search for solutions and then try to like, you know, like whatever, you know, obviously I'm trying to like learn some programming concept or software deployment type thing and or seeing you know like watching videos of other people doing talks on things and i what's happened is in the last four or five years i've gotten to where i really really use youtube as like a like a kind of a constant resource um some for entertainment but mostly i, I use it a lot for work now and so i actually kind of made the switch and and decided that I was going to pay for a, a YouTube subscription. It's only like $10 a month or whatever. And I ended up moving, you know, whenever I was like, ah, maybe I should be a little smarter about some of my, how my spending. I ended up moving off Spotify to use YouTube music because it was kind of all, you know, it's all kind of together and there's some services out there. You can migrate playlists. So kind of, that's my pick. The, one of the advantages of paying for it is that you, you eliminate all the commercials. And so it just, you know, like you can't, if you're going to sit there and watch stuff, you can't be like spend five minutes, you know, being interrupted by commercials or whatever. So I, for me, it, it's been a, it's been a really important part of like how I learn and like how I do things at work and, and stuff like that. So I figured I'd just give that a plug. Um, so that's my pick for the week. Cool. Uh, sounds really interesting. I'm still on Spotify, but uh, um, I'm open to any suggestions. To I was on YouTube, kind of helped me browse a lot of music in the past, but I wanted to be more like organized with with my music. So Spotify was the way to go. But yeah, I hear you. It would be hard for me to give up my Spotify playlist that I've curated over the years. I was surprised how well they migrated over. Oh, they migrate. Yeah, so That's I found awesome. some service that would just, it was free and it would allow you to just connect Spotify and, and YouTube and, and, the, and you could modify, you could migrate them one, one at a time. I mean, it, it was not, I wouldn't say it was, like there, I did lose a few things here and there, but I don't know. It like, I didn't, I realized I didn't care that much. I was just like, I, I'm going to, I was a, probably a paying member of Spotify for probably like eight or nine years. It just, you know. Just trying so to I, I'm kind of a neat freak, so lists are kind of I think. Uh, I'm I'm almost ashamed to say that I did a manual migration from YouTube to Spotify, so the other way around, uh, five years ago, and then just considering the amount of work, it took me a week, uh, uh, probably two or three hours a day to do it so yeah i i'm kind of reluctant to just go back because yeah, I'm, I'm afraid what's gonna happen I agree. yeah 
So my picks, to, to be honest, I, I didn't really prepare or give it any thought before the podcast, but, um, well, I, I was thinking about maybe providing some suggestions uh, for spending quality time during uh, this whole pandemic thing. <laughs> Uh, so, but then I, I remembered that it should have been something with technology. So I would say three things. Um, I recently discovered, uh, the, the beauty of, uh, uh, terminal, uh, kind of terminal cast, uh, application that uh, is also available on Ubuntu. So I've already used it. It's called, uh, ASCII NEMA, uh, with double I in, in the middle. So with this, you can kind of record your terminal uh we're all kind of uh around engineering so it's super useful because you can have a demo and then when you publish your recording somewhere people can actually copy paste from that video that's playing so that's really really a cool thing to to have so that's kind of my two cents on things that i discover on technology and then for for a, a, good pastime uh, during uh, confinement, I would say. I just uh, recently finished a really cool book uh, called Don't Make Me Think. It's about um, web usability and it cannot be simpler to understand uh, like how people should design for the web. Uh, honestly, highly recommend it. It's, it's super small as well. Uh, I think the guy did a, a usability optimization of his own book, by the way, which make it like even more fun to read. And then in terms of things to watch, also, I, I just finished the two new episodes of Last Dance, the Michael Jordan and Bulls documentary on Netflix. Nice. Uh, this is, uh, so it brings up really cool memories of the 90s and the whole Bulls era. So, yeah. And this is coming from a Lakers fan, by the way. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to, to see that. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but of course was super impressed by that whole, his whole it, it's, career. Yeah, it's actually, besides the basketball aspect, you, you see some clear highlights and indications of a person that's extremely smart, extremely talented. And then you can understand just by watching him like, behave within the basketball court of this guy is a, is a is a is a super entrepreneur right now so it kind of makes sense like yeah. he's behaving like this during his 20s now he has 40 years of experience on his shoulders so yeah 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 totally yeah i think i think shaq lebron jordan and magic johnson are all vying for the title of like the world's most successful post-career athlete yeah, there's there's another guy that had like is a strong contender, but, and I'm so sad of his passing. Of course, I'm talking about Kobe. Yeah, but Kobe, yeah. 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 Anyway, <laughs> right, it's it's a really cool thing to watch. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Alex, thanks so much for the conversation. It's great to meet you. Yes, thank thanks you. for having me. It was a real pleasure, guys. Yes. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Take care. All right. Take care, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.